This is Judaism 101.9 with Rabbi Michael Katz of Elovo. Hi, a very good afternoon to you and wonderful to be with you on this beautiful Wednesday afternoon here, just a couple of days before Pesach. Yes, Pesach is much more than on the horizon, and I'm sure that everybody's rushing around nice and busy. But if you just so happen to have the next half an hour or so, 40 minutes or so uh, free, or you're busy in your kitchen, or perhaps... Um, you're sitting with your feet up just to take a little bit of a break from all the hard work that has to be done and the things that have to be purchased and the stuff that we have to get ready for this daunting but yet so powerful and beautiful Chag called Pesach. I thought that perhaps we would have a little bit of an interlude here um, talking about Judaism's view about things that happen around us. And, um, yes, I am a fairly avid cricket fan, although I don't get to watch that much, but um, just um, the ability to follow it perhaps on Crick Info, on the Internet and so on, um, makes for some very, very fascinating and interesting reading, particularly over the last few days where we have seen the most incredible um, events unfolding with uh, what has now been known. I mean, if you just go into Google right now and you put in ball tampering, um, which is a very, very fascinating title topic. Fascinating topic in and of itself. If we think about ball tampering, um, we uh, realize that everything seems to have happened around ball tampering in uh, the last few days here in South Africa, here in Joburg and prior to that in Cape Town. And what do we learn from it? What is the Jewish view? I'm not going to give you perhaps the Jewish view of bull tampering, but uh, the Jewish view of all the events that have unfolded. And what do we learn from it? And perhaps we've also got to ask the question as to why this all seems to have happened on Shabbat HaGadol, on the big Shabbos. Is there a message in that? Is there a message in the fact that this is all in the buildup to Pesach, um, is there any link? Are we kind of clutching at straws? Is it just coincidental? Well, we know from a Jewish point of view there's no such thing as coincidence. And so there are a myriad of different layers and different levels and things that not only can we, but we need to learn from what happens around us. We sometimes need to learn what to do, and we sometimes need to learn what not to do. We sometimes need to learn from the very pro um, uh, what would we call them? Protagonists. Um, the people who are giving us good and great examples. We need to sometimes learn from, I guess, the antagonists and from the negative side, from those who teach us certainly how not to behave and what not to do. It's been a very, very interesting few months, if you think about it. Um, and I would like to suggest that um, ball tempering and what has happened over the last few days has just shifted the focus a little bit into a completely different arena. It's taken us into the, the field, if you wish, of sport. It's taken us into uh, that realm. But um, are we not talking about very, very similar things when we've been talking about things like state capture and where we talk about um, the influence of um, powerful politicians and people who um, themselves have been called off, have been told to resign their positions, even those of president of the country, and um, all the incredible links that there are between that 
And then, of course, the Jewish community was thrown into turmoil over the last few weeks with um, some terrible findings when it came to kashrut, when it came to um, kosher kitchens and so on. And was that not just a manifestation of all the same stuff, bull tempering? as well as uh, the aftermath of the bull tampering and all the cover-ups and all the things that people use and try to do to exonerate themselves and so on um, throughout all of these scenarios. And then now just a shift of focus as we look at and as we put under the spotlight what happened on a cricket field in Cape Town on this last Shabbos on Shabbat Hagadol. Well, I think that perhaps the answer really is, as we said before, that everything that happens in and around our environment, everything that happens out there in the world, is there to teach us something. So a basic of Judaism, if we're talking Judaism 101.9, is to learn from everything. We need to learn from every individual that we come into contact with. We need to learn from every person who we see and we hear from. We need to learn from the way that people behave, good, bad, and ugly. And we need to learn so much from all of the things that have happened over the past while um, in our own environment, in our own country, and all around us. It is pointing us in a direction, and it's giving us some invaluable lessons, not only in life um, or in uh, behaviors, um, in honesty, in integrity, in thinking about our relationship with God, in thinking about the power of authority, in thinking about the ego and how the ego gets in the way of so much and enables the Yetzirah, enables the evil inclination to make us do all the things that we wish afterwards that we wouldn't have done. But um, it kind of fudges and smudges all the ends and all the beginnings of those actions and turns us into the people that we would rather not be. And how do we thwart that? How do we stay away from that? How do we ensure that we remain pure that we remain moral, that we remain committed to our ethics and our standards, and that we retain the dignity that is demanded of each and every one of us as card-carrying members of the Jewish people. So let's think a little bit about some of the points that I found particularly fascinating, and let's try and extrapolate from there some kind of limud, something that we can learn from um, in order to integrated into our lives, as well as perhaps some very important, fascinating links to Pesach, to this time of the year, and what our Pesach festival is really all about. Well, I guess there would be some cynics who would say, we um, also have matzah balls. So are we talking about ball tampering when it comes to the matzah balls? Well, the accusation that has just been revealed was that it wasn't tape at all. It was actually sandpaper. That was used, and is that a reference perhaps to what we've got to eat at the Pesach Seder, that matzah? Yeah, many would say tastes like sandpaper. It is similar. No, guess not. I don't think that is the angle we're going to adopt. Let's rather be looking at, let's rather turn our attention to uh, such much more sinister messages and perhaps much more, uh, much deeper messages that we need to take forward and we need to apply to our own lives. Let's begin with. Um, something that I personally found to be um, quite abhorrent. And the abhorrence was uh, turned into um, a real way that I think that the ego actually works and um, how people 
too often uh, jump into the um, position of needing to and of wanting to defend themselves at all costs. So let's fast forward actually to what happened um, after the ball tampering incident where the captain of the Australian cricket team went out on worldwide television in front of a huge barrage of uh, press and press conference um, with a story that uh, was not quite the truth. And um, instead of possibly protecting other people who were around him, he tried to make it collective. He tried to draw everybody else into the uh, whole um, disaster. He said it was a, the leadership group who had made some kind of a decision that this was the way. This was the way that they were going to address the um, ability for them to have a little bit of an edge on the South African team. What were they going to do? They were going to scuff up the ball. What was uh, what was it? It was a discussion that was held amongst several people at uh, the lunchtime break, and they eventually got a culprit. They got somebody who was able to carry it out for them. Um, the mere fact that he shifted the blame reminded me, I think, and I'm sure it did you too, of um, what happened in the Garden of Eden. All those all those years ago in Gan Eden, what happened was... Um, Chava, Eve, is um, found having uh, crossed the line and eaten from the fruit that she shouldn't have. Adam, Odomarishan, is um, found guilty of having crossed the line himself. And there's a lot of finger pointing that goes on. He says, she made me do it. She says, it wasn't me, it was the snake. Um, each one pointing a finger. It sounded very, very similar here. The person who is caught says it wasn't me. They told me to do it. The one who says the they is not me alone. It's a whole group. We try to deflect and defer the responsibility. And perhaps the first and foremost lesson that we need to learn from leaders such as Moshe Rabbeinu as Moses is that there comes a time in Jewish leadership, in leadership in general, where there has to be the absolute unequivocal acceptance of responsibility upon oneself, upon me, I am responsible, rather than pointing fingers and saying that it is him, it was anybody else. Think about the damage control. Think about the uh, personal respect and the fact that if I've given a, an order, if I've given a command, if I've been there as the captain and I have asked people to do something in my name or in the name of the team, I'm the one who solely should be standing up and saying, it was me. Today, it's me. I'm the one who did it. Please um, allow me to accept full responsibility. This is Judaism 101.9 with Rabbi Michael Katz of Elovo. We are uh, back talking about a run-up to Pesach and taking some lessons in uh, perhaps a little bit lighthearted, but um, really some deep and profound messages that we have to take from things that happen around us. As uh, Jews, we need to continually do that, to learn from the environment, to learn from what happens around us, and uh, to take the good and the bad messages and learn sometimes how to behave and sometimes how not to behave. Well, perhaps a second point that I'd like to raise uh, based on all tampering and uh, all the things that have been going on around us um, and things that um, are quite startling and quite amazing, quite surprising, um, is, of course, the role that is played by the ego. The role that is played by the ego in all of this is that, unfortunately, 
when people get into positions such as, um, I guess, great sportsmen or when they achieve anything of uh, when people achieve anything of greatness in any realm, there kind of comes uh, with it the um, arrogance, the pride, the self-centeredness, the ego that very often creeps up into all of it. And uh, people get into a a posture and a position whereby they think that they are untouchable, that they are beyond the law, that the law doesn't really apply to them, or that they are clever enough, wise enough, uh, brilliant enough, and indispensable enough to be able to um, kind of wag your nose at the law, um, fool it, fox it, work it all out. And it is an amazing thing that uh, the ego can drive one to that degree. And the driving of the ego goes even further than that because it's not only driving one to the degree whereby you think you're invincible, impregnable, and completely untouchable and uh, really at the top of your game, so to speak, in such a powerful way that nobody will be able to demote you, pull you down, and you can just be so full of yourself and so arrogant. But um, it also um, drives the point that the people involved and the personalities involved um, don't think that anybody is actually uh, watching and when people are watching they think that uh, the focus will be so totally on them that they won't even notice the little nuances of what they're actually doing Um, we sometimes are driven so hard by the ego that we get into a state of mind whereby we um, will do stupid, silly things. Um, we will never be able to accept responsibility or take responsibility upon ourselves. But at the same time, we will also reach the um, mark of actually thinking that um, God can't see us either. Um, if you think about it, what happened in the um, horrible uh, or quite fascinating cricket saga um, of the last few days um, there were cameras cameras were trained on the players and they knew that and they knew that there were lots and lots of cameras at the cricket ground and that they could pick up so much and that somebody somewhere um, and there was a great likelihood of being able to pick it up but that was their whole modus operandi it was how do we um, ensure that we're not picked up on camera Now, there's something very, very sinister about that kind of a thought Uh, because, number one, had they not been picked up on camera, um, they would never have been found out. They would possibly have continued to cheat. They possibly would have continued um, what they must undoubtedly have been doing for a long, long time and had got a, gotten away from it, away with it uh, from time to time and therefore were continuing on the same track. But um, the idea that if I'm not caught on camera, um, that then it is permissible, is a serious, seriously flawed argument um, from a Jewish point of view. Because we've got to remember that um, the reason why we keep mitzvot, the reason why we do things the way that we do them, is not because others may notice or because we may be caught on camera or because we may be caught out and therefore <clears throat> as long as nobody sees I'll just sneak something that I shouldn't be eating or I shouldn't be doing <clears throat> I'll cheat a little bit on Shabbos as long as nobody sees because after all isn't it just about my public persona my ego and all the things that people will think and say about me and how wrong 
that kind of an attitude or that kind of an argument actually is. Because from a Jewish point of view, undoubtedly, certainly, and obviously, we need to focus completely directly and um, entirely on keeping to the law, keeping our Torah and our mitzvot, not because there may be cameras and not because there may be policemen and not because somebody may find me out, the camera may be focused on me just when I'm sandpapering uh, the cricket ball. No, um, I am watched all the time by the Almighty, by God. I need to make sure that I realize that um, I'm seen all the time. There is nothing that is beyond God's scope. And I've got to remember that if I have that fear of God and that understanding of the fact that Hashem is watching at all times and there is no time not even in the darkest recesses of the the privacy of my own bedroom at night am I hidden in any way from God and from godliness just that alone is a huge huge statement of um, just how aware we need to be of the fact that this is not about a relationship with a TV camera and this is not about a relationship with other people and it's not about a relationship with the way that people are going to judge me. But it's rather that I'm doing something for a much higher purpose. And everything that I do is there, it's documented, it's recorded, good, bad and ugly. And um, that I am totally responsible for all of those things all of the time, even the things that I have so to speak, done in private and that nobody actually knows about. Isn't this a big part of our um, campaign that we run every year when it comes to Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, the days of Aseret Yemei Tshuva, the whole concept of Tshuva, is uh, for me to reveal and to bring out the things that I know that I did um, and that nobody has ever found out about, but that that between me and God is still a blemish on my soul. It's still something that I need to ask forgiveness for. It's still something that I need to rectify, to fix, without which I cannot move forward in this uh, life of my own. So the idea of uh, the ego getting in the way. When we think about the concept of Pesach, is not the very epitome of Pesach all about the getting rid of chametz. What is chametz? What is chametz? Chametz is um, typically declared to be exactly what the ego is. It's, first of all, full of hot air. It rises up and it's fluffy. It can create an arrogance. It can create a sense of pride. It can create a sense of self-importance and self-indulgence. It can create all of those things. And when it comes to Pesach, we say, you know what, from time to time we need a bit of a reality check. We've got to be brought down to earth. Um, at times it can be very crushing on the ego, but at times it just needs to be that um, drawing down of um, or uh, deflating the ego in a way that only the matzah and Pesach actually can. Because with that, we gain some kind of a liberation. We are trapped sometimes by our egos. We are trapped by all these bonds of um, arrogance and pride and self-importance and um, thinking that uh, the reason why I am as uh, they might have thought, the best batsman or the best cricket player or whatever it may be um, in uh, my own eyes um, is all because of my own doing. It's because of my own hard work and it's because of everything that I've done. And Pesach comes along to remind us that without God, without his hand um, in our redemption, without the miracles that he that He 
did for us, that he wrote on our behalf in order to get us out of Egypt, that um, we would be nothing without all of that. And so, therefore, the idea of um, deflating, of uh, breaking down that arrogance, of taking away from that ego, from that pride, from that self-importance, is uh, very much a part of the Pesach story of um, remembering that the redemption wasn't just way back then when we got out of Egypt, but sometimes... We need a personal redemption, the redemption from all of those things that bond us, that bind us, and that make us sometimes uglier than we actually should be, sometimes not nearly as nice as we should be. And is that not really one of the things that we've got to learn from the Pesach experience? Let's um, think a little bit along uh, these lines, and that is that um, somewhere, somehow, there needs to be some action taken. And the action that is taken um, needs to make sure that we stop, that we do not continue along the path that we have blazed for ourselves, that we make a little bit of sometimes a fundamental change, and that sometimes we need to be found out and uh, by sometimes a higher authority that tells us where we went wrong um, that the blame game was not good that the leadership was of a very very poor quality that there was certainly and undoubtedly some bullying involved um, even though we tend to think that bullies are only people that we meet up with in a, a classroom uh, there can be bullies in um, society as well and I have no doubt that in this kind of an environment there was bullying. There was the fact that a younger player, a younger person, had to uh, bend to and had to listen to those who were manipulative and who were pushing and who were in positions of power uh, without which uh, he wouldn't have had the same kind of standing in the team. Um, all of this is known as bullying. It is manipulation. It is, uh, call it state capture, call it whatever you wish. It all seems to add up to and amount to the same thing. Um, and uh, that quest for sometimes innocent people to uh, retain their position, their job, etc., um, is often challenged by the morality of it all. And should I stand up? Should I be the proverbial whistleblower? Should I be the one who says, no, I'm not prepared to do this and I'll take the, I'll suffer the consequences? Or do we put career first? Do we put finance first? Do we put ego first? And do we say um, this is a small price to, play, to pay for a, a very, very long and important uh, path that I have ahead and the ability to make lots and lots of money. So unfortunately there is so much that we can learn not all of it good, not all of it that positive, but um, undoubtedly as it came on Shabbat Hagadol and as it is in the build up to Pesach there are so many lessons that uh, we can learn from it. This is Judaism 101.9 with Rabbi Michael Katz of Elovo. So being that it is the run-up to Pesach and there are a number of important things that we need to know for from Judaism 101.9, let's quickly run through the things that you need to make sure that you have taken care of and that we have done in the build-up to Pesach. Number one is we need to have sold chametz. That can have been done already. You do not have to have your house clean and all done and all ready because the sale actually only s kicks in. It's only done by the Beth Din on Friday morning on Erev Pesach. So 
we could uh, do this by going online. You can go to ChabadSouthAfrica.org and uh, there you can find the form to sell your chametz. But that must be done by the very latest, by tomorrow. Um, or see your local rabbi. Make sure that you have done the sale of the chametz by filling it in yourself. And make sure that that is taken care of before Pesach. Number two. Um, tomorrow evening at um, the time of nightfall, so approximately from 6.30 onwards, um, we need to do the bedikat chametz, the search for chametz. So we traditionally place 10 pieces of bread around the house or chametz around the house, um, and we go searching for chametz in all the nooks and crannies. The idea of putting those uh, breadcrumbs there, and we should make sure that they're well wrapped so that they don't spill all over the place, and... Uh, Foul up all the wonderful work that we've done over the last couple of weeks to make sure that the space is chametz free is um, to enable us to actually find something because hopefully you've cleaned so well that there are actually no chametz lying around and we're making a bracha on the search of chametz we really want to find so make sure that you have some that you put out there uh, make sure that it's a number um, and traditionally we do 10 that you will always remember and you'll be able to count and know if there is one missing because there can't be anything worse than having to spend the rest of the day or the night uh, looking for that one uh, that happens to be missing so also you should probably know where you put them. So we search for the chametz. We wrap them all up. Um, all the instructions are in the back of your siddur or in the beginning of your haggadah. Um, what we do at the time, the whole family is present. We walk around. We check everywhere. It is part of the um, idea of looking for chametz within ourselves, of searching for the um, arrogance, for the pride, for the ego, for all of those things that we were talking about before within ourselves. And that's all done tomorrow evening. The chametz is then um, officially sold by the Beth Din on Friday morning, but Friday morning till approximately 9.40, 9.45, we um, are still allowed to eat chametz, but from that time onwards, no longer may we eat chametz. So on Friday morning, no chametz from 9.45 onwards, and uh, also from then onwards, traditionally, um, or actually the whole day, we don't eat any of the things that actually are contained in the Seder. Uh, we do not eat matzah, we do not drink wine, we don't eat um, any of the ingredients of the charoset, apples, the nuts and the wine and so, and so on. All of those things are not eaten. We don't eat maror, but nobody would really want to, I guess, on Erev Pesach. And so we stay away from all of the things that are on the Seder plate or part of the Seder. That is for the day, the full day of Friday. Um, it is, of course, a public holiday. Um, things have been kindly to us this year to make sure that um, the day before Pesach is a public holiday. It makes things just a lot easier. Um, we're not torn in different directions. We can focus on getting ready, preparing, making sure that Pesach is ready in uh, the fullest fashion and the best possible way. We need to prepare on Friday all the things that are necessary for the um, Seder plate, many of which cannot be done on Shabbat. So the making of the charoset, the grating of the chrein, if you do grate it, um, checking of the romaine lettuce to see that it is insect and bug free, um, uh, cooking the uh, bone that uh, you use for the zeroa on the Seder plate, making sure that you have matzahs and preferably shmura matzah that you're going to be using in your Seder plate and for the Seder itself um, to be eaten for the mitzvah of matzah at the Seder, making sure that we have wine, uh, not only sufficient to drink, but the kind of wine that you will enjoy drinking that will make it a very, very pleasant experience and that it will be an enjoyable uh, Seder that you're going to have. And of course, making sure that you have a Seder to attend 
And I know that there are still people who have place available at their sedarim. Make sure that you have a seder to attend. Every Jew should be attending a seder um, on the first and the second nights of Pesach. That's Friday night and uh, Saturday night as well. Um, other than that, there is the burning of chametz, which takes place by the very latest um, 10.45 on Friday morning. Chametz is burnt, so that is the stuff that we have found the night before. We put it away, we leave it there, and as we are uh, doing the actual biur, as we're doing the actual getting rid of the chametz with the burning that takes place on uh, Friday morning, we say a uh, paragraph called Kol Chamira, which is said by which we annul any chametz that we may have in our possession. We're declaring that it's ka'afra, the ara, that it is like the dust of the earth that is meaningless to me. It's got nothing to do with me, and I do not consider it to be um, of any significance whatsoever. So we do all of these things in order to rid ourselves, in order to um, exonerate ourselves, and in order to get get ourselves freed from all of these chametz kind of chametz kind of attributes. That uh, sometimes come, often come, to impact upon our lives and uh, turn us into the kind of people that uh, we undoubtedly do not want to be. We want to focus then on what the matzah means. And the matzah, of course, means that um, lack of arrogance. It means that ability to absorb godliness. It means actually, um, as it is termed, that it is michle de mahemanusa. It is actually the bread of our faith with each bite of matzah, while some of us regard it as being difficult to swallow and difficult to stomach. We've got to remember that with each bite of matzah, never mind the fact that at the Seder we're fulfilling a mitzvah by eating it, but with each bite of matzah, we're actually taking on board a whole lot of bite-sized pieces of faith. We are improving, increasing the power, the energy of the faith that is within us and therefore of paramount importance that we eat that matzah, that we eat it properly and that we eat it correctly at the Pesach Seder, um, which hopefully we will be able to do. We've got to remember that the whole story of uh, getting out of Egypt is an example, not only for us to have to follow and to need to follow throughout our lives on a daily basis, but of course it is something that um, is all about this journey that began those uh, thousands of years ago as we left Egypt. It has continued and it continues to continue right up until today um, and hopefully when uh, Elioa Novi will be standing at our Pesach Seder door, on the night of Pesach, on Friday night, he will come with the news, hopefully, that Mashiach has arrived, that he's come to tell us that the Golis, that the exile, has uh, come to an end, that we are about to be redeemed, um, this time for real, this time for proper, and this time the fact that Mashiach is here, and he's here to see to it that um, not only next year will we be in Yerushalayim, but in fact that this year we'll be in Yerushalayim, Irakodesh, in the holy city of Jerusalem, celebrating Pesach in the proper fashion with the Beis Migdash, with the temple, may it be built speedily in our time. I want to wish you a great and wonderful Happy and kosher Pesach. I hope that it is not only everything that you want it to be, but that it's so much more, that it reaches the kind of levels that we've been speaking about, where not only are we celebrating getting out of Egypt, but that in fact we can celebrate the end of this Golis, the end of this exile. Um, may it happen 
really, really speedily in our time. I want to wish you well for the rest of the week. Hope the preparations go well and hope that the Seder and everything that it brings is absolutely superb, is absolutely perfect. Have a wonderful Pesach. See you again next week.